Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, we're starting a new sermon series today called Summer in the Psalms, Cultivating a Heart for Worship. Uh, If you don't know what the Psalms are, the Psalms are 150 chapters in a book in the middle of the Bible, and it has to do with all different types of worship and all different types of worship styles. So there's congregational worship, which is worship that is all among the people. There's private and personal worship. There's lament worship. There's all different types of worship. And so we're going to be going through there to kind of see what is God's original blueprint for worship. It's kind of a worship 101 course. What does it mean when we sing? Why do we sing? Why do we clap? Why are we worshiping in the first place? Why do we do this every Sunday? And part of the reason I love the Psalms is because they're a little crazy like me. So if you flip through the Psalms, you get a joyful Psalm where it's like, I I will bless the Lord and I am fearfully and wonderful. And then the next Psalm, it's like, I'm not a man, I am a worm. I'm in the pit. And then the next Psalm is like, break the teeth of the wicked Lord. And it's like angry worship because he's calling out to God because he's upset about something. And so whatever season you are in, there is a Psalm for you right? And whatever, whatever situation or mood you're in, we're all moody people. I don't, you ain't got to lie about it. We're all moody people. Whatever mood you're in, there's a psalm for you, and God commands you to worship anyways in whatever mood. So we think praise is something that only happens when we're happy, right? Or something that only happens when we're in church, but praise is something that happens all the time. And so we're going to be going through these psalms on Sundays and also on Wednesdays. On Sundays, we're going to be talking about corporate worship, but on Wednesdays, we're going to have extended times of worship where we could practice the things that we've learned. And we're also going to be talking about how to cultivate a worship time with God. So we hope to see you up here 7.30s on Wednesdays. It's going to be a great time. I love worship. I grew up, um, my mother was a worship leader, so I kind of grew up around worship. She was an opera singer. So uh, I I literally grew up kind of running around the opera sometimes, right? And they would sing, uh, it wasn't a regular opera, it was the Houston Ebony Opera Guild. And so it was a bunch of black opera singers. I thought that was totally normal. I don't know, I, I, I realized that wasn't normal when I grew up. It was a bunch of black opera singers and they would sing spirituals, they would sing hymns, they would sing all these sacred songs to God. But then also she was a worship leader at a small church plant. There was about 10 people in the church plant. It was just her and, a, and the piano. And she would sing all these old songs like, he's an on time God, y'all know that one? Yes, he is, Jesus on the main line. You know it. And then, so I went to an elementary school that was completely the opposite. It was a uh, Texas Christian, read between the lines, evangelical, all white, that's what I'm trying to say, all white school. There was about 600 white folks and there was like six black kids. And they didn't do any of those songs. It, that was like in the 90s and that was the birth of the mega church worship movement and it was Hillsong, right? It was shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Y'all know that one. Y'all know that one. And then, you know, the church plant closed down after a while and we ended up leaving that elementary school. And so we went to a big black Baptist church where they had about 18 choirs. 
They had a choir for everybody. They had an adult choir. They had the youth choir. They had the children's choir. They had the men's choir. They had the old men's choir. They had the women's choir. They had the young adult praise team. And they would do all these gospel songs like, blessed, blessed, you know, all those songs. They would do all those songs. And when I grew up, I had to kind of figure out, okay, so what is my worship style? Because I have opera over here, and then we got Hillsong over here. We got Fred Hammond over here. We got all these hymns over here. And little did I know that God was leading me to a place called Bridge Church, which is quite a diverse population. If you look on the worship team, there are some people who are from Episcopalian backgrounds and Presbyterian backgrounds, non-denominational backgrounds and Baptist backgrounds, and some people who just got saved like two weeks ago and they just want to sing, right? And so there's all these different worship styles and it leaves us in this predicament, which what is our worship, our Bridge Church supposed to look like? Have you ever felt that before where it's like, I know this song, but I don't know that one, right? And I like this song, but I don't really like that one, right? And, uh, <laughs> and there's this old song by Kirk Franklin in the 90s, and it said, someone asked the question, why do we sing? When we lift our hands to Jesus, what do we really mean? Someone may be wondering when we sing our song, at times we may be crying, but nothing's even wrong. And then the chorus says, I sing because I'm happy. You know it? I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow. That's the reason why I sing. Then it said, glory high. I give my praises to you. I give my praises to you. <laughs> glory hallelujah. You're the reason why I sing. And maybe you find yourself on either aisle of that song where you're wondering why is singing necessary? Why is worship necessary? Why do we do this every week? Or maybe you are the person who grew up in church, kind of like me, and you say, I like worship and I like singing. It's just that I don't want to be the one doing it, right? And I'd rather Latisse and the worship team do it, and I'd rather just observe. And today, I'm going to give you reasons why God thinks it's important that we sing to him. Three points, and I'm done. I always wanted to say that. <laughs> Y'all know how preachers be lying. Three, 10 minutes, and I'm out of here. Three reasons. We sing for joy. <laughs> we sing for hope. And we sing because he is worthy. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for calling us here into your house. Not just to learn about you, but to be with you, God. As the song just sang, we want to be where you are, Lord. We want to be where you are. That's why we came to church today, to have an encounter with you, God. So speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. Speak to our minds. Speak to our bodies. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let the church say amen. amen. Turn to Psalms 95 with me if you have it. It will also be on the screens. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs 
of praise. I'm going to keep reading it in a second, but the first thing I want to point out is that if you have a different translation, it may not say sing in there. It may say shout, it may say exuberant noise, it may say an overflow of noise or a joyful noise. And the reason why is because this song, this psalm is not talking about a specific type of technical singing that is reserved for a certain type of people. It's not like Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston singing where only a certain people could do it. What this psalm is talking about, this translation of singing, is talking about an overflow of noise that comes from joy. A war cry, a celebration, right? Something that you might hear at a football game, something that you might hear at a basketball game, or something you might hear in Applebee's when the waiter brings out the dessert and they all go, happy birthday to you. And it's like real chaotic and it's real loud, but it's coming from a place of overflow to celebrate somebody. What I'm trying to say is that it's not a singing that is exclusive, it's a singing that is non-exclusive that everyone can do and that everyone should do. You should sing unto the Lord. That's what he's saying. Singing is commanded in the Bible about 50 times, and it's mentioned in the Bible over 400 times, right? It's something that God thinks is important, and it's something that God is commanding us to do, and it's something that God knows is good for us, right? It's, 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 it's a praise that's important. The second thing I want to point out is it says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Now, where does the Thanksgiving start? It says, come in with Thanksgiving. Did you catch that? It's not just something that you find when you get there. It's not just something where, you know, the worship team has to start and they do 15 backflips and hit a high C sharp and do a mega run, right? Thanksgiving is something that a mature worshiper has already started before they get in God's house. What he's saying is, come into my house prepared. Come into my house prepared. Worship starts from the inside out, not the outside in. It's not something that is happening in church and then all of a sudden it enters into you. It's something that starts within you before you get to church and it overflows out of you. A joyful noise. Sing unto the Lord with a joyful noise. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. I just told you about my family. Um, when we were going, when I was growing up, I didn't go to a lot of people's houses for like dinner and stuff. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't something that my family did. We kind of just, you know, went to work, minded our business, went home, right? And, you know, occasionally we went to someone's house for Thanksgiving or Christmas, usually our family. Um, and, you know, it was sometimes where I went to people's house after school, but it wasn't like a regular practice where we went to people's houses. And so when, when I got married, my wife and I, we would go to different, uh, different people's houses for like dinner parties and stuff like that, right? And uh, if you know us, we were about 10, 15 minutes late. Amen. Mind your business. And, uh, <laughs> and we did like 6.45 and we were supposed to be there at 6.30 and my wife would say, uh, we need to stop at that grocery store and get something. And I'd be like, but we're late. What are we doing? And she would say to me, it's rude to come to someone's house without something. Do not come to someone's house empty-handed. Do not come to someone's house unprepared and empty-handed. And what God is saying is, do not come into my house empty-handed. Come with an offering. Come with thanksgiving. Come with joy. Come prepared for worship. A worshiper starts worshiping at home. 
right? And if you get that, it will change the entire atmosphere of this church. If you get that, it would change the way that we use those 20 minutes where we worship every day, right? A worship, worshiper starts in the car. A worshiper starts on the train. A worshiper starts in the shower, right? A worshiper starts before they get there. A joyful noise unto the Lord. I was a teacher for many years, and uh, I, I learned some facts about singing along the way. Some scientific reasons why we sing. I'm not talking about worship. I'm just talking about why, when, what happens when people sing, right? What are some of the benefits of singing? And it's something new that has kind of started over the last 20 years where neurologists and therapists and psychologists have looked and uh, done brain scans on people when they're singing. They kind of say, okay, so what does singing do for the brain in general? I'm going to give you 10 reasons why you should be singing. <laughs> Number oh, well, there, it's all up there. Number one, it relieves stress by boosting cortisol. You know this, right? Where it's like you're having a bad day and your favorite song comes on, and like three and a half minutes later, your entire mood has changed because singing causes joy and music causes joy. It boosts your immune system. I can't explain that one, but that's what the scientist says. Number three, it increases your pain threshold. Number four, it improves snoring. All the wives tapping their husbands out there like, see, that's why you should sing in church. Uh, number five, it improves your overall lung function. I, I do know about that one. It's because most people, when you're sitting down right now, you're using like five to 10% of your lung capacity, right? You're taking little tiny baby breaths. But when you sing, you're using your entire lungs, right? And you've seen this before with someone who is playing sports. And, you know, after they get through running like a mile and they're like... <sighs> That's what it means to use your entire lungs, and singing helps you use more of your lungs and also to help you control your lungs while increasing your diaphragm strength and all of these things. Number six, it improves your emotional health. They found that people who sing more are more emotionally healthy. Number seven, it enhances memory in people with dementia. So there's a, uh, a new sort of science that you can find in hospitals called music therapy where, you know, people in nursing homes and people, uh, small children and even in psych wards, they use music to help heal people and to help, um, you know, regulate emotions and increase memory and things of that nature. Um, number seven, it enhances memory in people with, did I say that one? Enhances people, <laughs> enhances memory in people with dementia. Number eight, it helps with grief. Number nine, it improves mental health. They found that people who listen to music and who sing more have uh, better mental health. Number 10, it improves speaking abilities, particularly in people with debilitating diseases. And this is just like the tip of the iceberg. There are hundreds of benefits that scientists have recently found and are still finding about singing. As a matter of fact, one scientist called it an exercise for your brain. If you want to exercise your body, you go to the gym. But if you want to exercise your brain, exercise your emotions, exercise your spirit, you should sing more. And they, I told you about the brain scan. Can we pull up that picture? The scientists, you know, they, 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 uh, they hooked up people to an MRI machine or were doing a brain scan on people while they were singing. And what they found is that music is one of the only things that you can do where you're using your entire brain all at once. 
So some of you know about the left brain and you know about the right brain and your left brain is more analytical and your right brain is more creative and abstract and the things of that nature. So when you're reading or when you're doing math, it lights up this part of your brain. And when you're dreaming, it lights up another part of your brain. When you're angry or when you're thinking about your emotions, it lights up another part of your brain. And they found that when you're listening to music and even more when you're singing music, your entire brain lights up. It's causing your entire, there it is, it's causing your entire brain to start working all at once. And the reason is, is because if you're singing a song, your memory is activated, right? But also your, the analytical side of your brain is activated, where you're thinking about the high notes and the low notes, and you're thinking, am I in tune with the person next to me? And you're, maybe you're reading the lyrics, but you're also feeling the lyrics, right? And you're interpreting the lyrics, and maybe you remember the first time you heard the song, and where you were, and what you were doing, and who you were with. And so they're, they're calling it an exercise for your brain that singing is one of the most healthy things that you can do for your brain. So here's my question. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Let's go back to church. Who made your brain that way? Who made your brain to function and light up when it starts singing? Who made your brain that it would get healthier and you would find joy internally every time you sing? Could it be that God created you for worship? Could it be that God created you for praise? Could it be that God created you to sing unto the Lord and not only by yourself, but to sing unto the Lord and the congregation of other people because he knew that that is what you need as a healthy part of your diet, just like eating and sleeping. Singing is important. God calls us to praise because he knows that it has a healthy benefit to us because he created us to worship. He created us to create to praise. And what I'm trying to get at is sometimes we think that, you know, when we're having a good week, that's a good time to praise the Lord. But what I'm trying to say is when you're having a bad week, that's the best time to praise the Lord. When you're in a dark season, that's the best time to praise the Lord. God has given worship as a tool to us. Yeah, he's given worship as a tool to us to help us in every season. Praise helps brings us into different seasons. Praise is a prophetic tool that God has given to us. Let me prove it to you. So there was this guy in the Bible. His name was Paul. You know Paul. Very famous Christian, right? A very famous uh, missionary. He wrote over half of the New Testament and uh, a lot of the books that we read about. And Paul was having a bad month. He was having a bad week. He was having a bad day. So he was a missionary. He was on his second trip And the Bible says he was on a ship and he was on his way to East Asia and the spirit of the Lord stopped him. And have you ever been in a, you know, in an airplane or in a uh, airport? There we go. That's the word. You were in an airport and you experienced flight delays. And you know how frustrating that is. Well, that brother was on a ship, <laughs> right, <laughs> with, with, with a map and a compass and stuff, and he was experiencing disruptions from God. And the Bible says he tried to go three different places, yet God stopped him each time. Can you imagine how frustrating that is? And finally, he had a dream, and the, Bible, and, and the angel of the Lord came to him, and he, the, the angel of the Lord told him to go to a place called Macedonia. And in, the, in Macedonia, he would go to a country called Troas and to a city called Philippi. You know Philippi. Philippi is where we get the book of Philippians from. So you would think that, you know, after all of that, after experiencing all this hardship, that when he got to the place that God told him to go, that it would be a little easier. 
right? That it would be, okay, God told me to go here. God prevented me from going other places, and he told me to go here, so maybe my life will start getting easier now, but that's not what happened. He got to Philippi, and he started preaching the gospel. The problem was, the Bible says there was a little slave girl filled with the spirit of divination who started following him around and yelling at him for three days straight. You can imagine what that's been, because you've been on Flatbush Ave before, haven't you, when somebody just kind of starts, starts yelling at you? Except it was a little slave girl, and she followed him for three days as he was trying to share the gospel. And so it says that his spirit got vexed, and he turned around, and he said, come out in Jesus' name, and the demon left the slave girl, except then Paul got in more trouble, because the slave girl's owner was like, you know, in charge of a lot of things and owned a lot of money in that, particularly, in that particular city. And so they threw him in jail. It went from bad to bad to worse. They threw him in jail. And not only did they throw him in jail, they beat him, they stripped him naked. And the Bible says they threw him in the inner courts of the jail. How would you feel if that kind of situation happened to you? What would you be thinking about God? Can you imagine the confusion Like, God, why did you send me here just to get thrown in jail? I was just trying to help that little girl. I cast a demon out of her, and now I am beat up and naked and in prison. Can you imagine how he was thinking, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Can you imagine the anxiety that filled him? Like, I'm in a foreign country, and I'm surrounded by prisoners, and I'm surrounded by all this strangeness, and how in the world am I going to get out of this one? What do you think Paul did? The Bible says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Now, if you've been in church a long time, you know the rest of that story, but let's just pause for a second and think about it. In the middle of his anxiety, in the middle of his chaos, in the middle of the night, in the middle of prison, in the middle of probably one of the worst situations that ever happened to him, he decided it was a good time to praise the Lord. He decided it was a good time to worship. And not only did he praise and not only did he worship, he started singing so loudly that the other prisoners heard them. (laughs) Now, if you were in prison surrounded by a bunch of criminals, would you want to start singing worship real loudly at midnight? (laughs) Can you imagine the faith that took? Can you imagine the boldness and the audacity that took? You know what it takes, because sometimes you'd be scared to sing in church with the person next to you, like, I don't want them to hear me. And he was in midnight, and he started praising God in the middle of a bad situation. Why? Because worship and praise is a tool. He knew that. A mature worshiper knows that praise starts what? In the inside out, not from the outside in. It didn't matter where he was. It didn't matter who he was surrounded by or what time it was or what country he was. He knew that it was a good time to worship. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loose. Do you remember how I started off talking about how praise was not this technical singing, it was a war cry. And it's like this loud, overwhelming, joyful shout. That's what the Bible calls it. A joyful shout that comes out of you. 
Can I tell you that the reason God wants you to worship, and not only worship, but worship loudly, is because you don't know who you're sitting by. You don't know the kinds of chains that the person next to you has on them, or the kind of situation that the person is going through, or the kind of hopelessness that is on that person. And God may use your praise, and God may use your worship as a means of deliverance for them. Worship is a responsibility that we have together, not only for ourselves, but to serve God and to serve the people next to us. They called it borrowing faith, right? The prisoners did not have faith, but Paul had faith for himself and also for everybody, and everybody's chains came loose. Can you imagine what would happen if we inhabited this kind of praise in our church, in Brooklyn, in this city? Can you imagine what kind of chains would fall off people? Can you imagine what kind of faith that takes, but also what kind, of, what kind of God we serve that he would use us to free other people? What would happen if all of our worship sounded like that? What would happen if we got rid of the embarrassment and we got rid of the shame and we stopped second guessing ourselves, and we just started having a joyful shout and a joyful cry to the Lord? Can you imagine how God would use us in this city to set the captives free. Because the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Psalms 95, verse three and four. It says, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountain are also his. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Now don't skip over that. It says, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains. He's a great king above what? All other gods. The sea is his and his hands for the dry land. Weren't we just talking about Paul on a sea? Weren't we just talking about Paul in the pit, in the depths of the earth? And Paul knew that the pit also belongs to God. <laughs> Paul knew that the chains also belong to God. God. Paul knew that the prisoners and the prison guards and even those evil men that threw him in prison, that even one day they would have to bow at the feet of Jesus, the name that is above all names. God is worthy in every season. God is worthy in every situation. God is worthy on the mountain. God is worthy on the valley. God is worthy when we're happy. God is worthy when we're sad. God is worthy when we're free. God is worthy when we're in chains. God is worthy in every season. And a mature worshiper realizes that God is worthy in every season. He is a great king above all gods. And what I love about that story the story of Paul at midnight in a prison is we see that story kind of reflected all throughout history over and over again. Not only in the Bible, but we see that story in American history where people who were enslaved and people who were in chains cried out to God and God set them free. Where praise was a prophetic tool that brought freedom. I've been a music teacher, I told y'all that, for about uh, 10 years. I've taught K through 12 in college and grad school and even been a consultant for different districts and things of that nature. And uh, the things that I teach about are African-American music history, Ta starting with West Africa, because, you know, African-American music history doesn't start in America. It starts in West Africa, 
going to the slaves and then the blues and, you know, jazz and gospel and looking at the richness of our history, calling out to God. And I think about the slave song, wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water, for God's going to trouble the water. And some people, you know, they, we look at that song and we say, okay, that's a coded song. And that's true, right? Where people sang it and they knew that if you walked in the water that the slave hounds couldn't find you. So that was the way to escape freedom going up the Mississippi River. And if you sang that song at a certain time of night, then Harriet Tubman or another person would come and find you and lead you along the Underground Railroad. And that's all true, but what is that song about? Literally, where did that song come from? Where did the words of that song come from? I have no idea how a bunch of enslaved people figure that out, but the song is actually symbolic of systematic theology of all the times God used water in the Bible to free people. So if you look at Moses, they waded in the water, God troubled the water, they crossed over the Red Sea into a place of freedom, into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years, but then God told them to wade in the water again using a man named Joshua, and they crossed the Jordan River into freedom. That same river, just a few years later, God sent a leper named Naaman who was shackled to a disease called leprosy. He was a powerful man, but he lost all his power because of leprosy. And God told him to wade in the water, and all the sickness left his body. Few books later, Jesus comes along that same Jordan River, and there's a blind man, and he says, Jesus, I want to see. And God says, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, wade in the water, God will trouble the water. And God used water all throughout the Bible to bring freedom to people. And the slaves used the song, Wade in the Water not only as just a song that they were singing through the day, but as a form of worship that God used as a prophetic tool to where we are standing in freedom now. Much like Paul at midnight, they didn't know if the song was going to work or not. They didn't know if the freedom was coming now or if it was coming later, but God used these songs over and over and over again to bring freedom to people. If you think about the songs of the civil rights movement, the story goes that when Martin Luther King Jr. got tired, he would call a woman named Mahalia Jackson, who was a famous gospel singer at the time, and she would sing, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, and I am warm. Through the storm and through the night, lead me on to the light, take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. I wonder if she knew that song was going to work or if she decided to praise God in the middle of a tough situation. What I'm trying to tell you is that praise is always prophetic. Praise still works as a tool to bring hope. Praise still works as a tool to bring freedom. Don't miss that. The things that you are singing about now, maybe you won't see in your lifetime, but the generations after you will see. Your children's children will reap the benefits of you praising God and you singing freedom and singing about hope. Praise produces hope. Do you get it? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Praise produces hope. How does that work? Let me break it down for you. The Bible says where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there among them. 
The Bible also says that he is enthroned among the praises of his people. So two people are standing there and he is among them. And then he is enthroned among the praises of his people. The Bible also says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So praise is a tool that God uses to bring liberty. Praise and worship is a a tool that God uses to bring hope to all kinds of people all throughout history. Perhaps that's why it says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And lastly, we sing because he is worthy. In Psalms 95, it says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Remember, I was telling you about singing earlier and all those benefits of singing. Well, those didn't have anything to do, anything to do with worship, so hypothetically, you could be experiencing a joy singing any song. But worship does something where it helps you remember your identity in Christ. It's something unique about worship that no other song can do. It helps you remember that God is our maker. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture. Worship helps us remember our identity. Again, maybe that's why Paul sang in the midnight hour. He needed to remember that he was not forgotten by God. Perhaps when you are going through a tough situation, that is the best time to worship, to remember your identity in Christ in every season. He is the Lord, our maker. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. He is our God. We are his people. We are a citizen of heaven. We, are a, we belong to Jesus. Worship is something that we give to God as our, as our gift to him. He is our maker. He is our Lord. He is our king over every season. And he is our God and we are his people. Here's my question. Why does God want our worship? If you look at Revelations 4 and 5, we're not going to go there because we don't have time, but it says that the angels of the Lord are singing in heaven day and night, and they're calling out one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, worthy of honor and glory and dominion. And they're calling out to one another back and forth and back and forth. And I've never heard an angel sing, but I'm quite sure an angel could sing better than me. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't want to go on American Idol and like verse an angel. I wouldn't want to go on The Voice and verse an angel because I know that an angel could probably throw it down. So if angels are singing in heaven all day and all night, why does God want my worship? Why does God want my worship? Why does God want my praise? Maybe you have thought that before at church where it's like, okay, all these people are singing up here. We got this band that is slamming up here. Why does God want my worship? Why does God need to hear my voice? What value does my worship bring to him? What is the point of it? And the answer is that we have a song that the angels cannot sing. Your worship is as unique as the fingerprint on your body. 
because your worship comes from your testimony. Your worship comes from the things that God has brought you through. It is a response to the freedom that God has brought to your life. The gospel of Jesus is this, that when we were yet sinners, he died for us. That he came down in human form, God put on flesh, and he lived, and he died, and he resurrected, and he's coming back again for us. And so we are the redeemed people of the Lord, and we have a song of the redeemed. You have a song that the angels cannot sing. You have a song that your neighbors cannot sing. You have a song that the worship team cannot sing for you. God wants to hear your worship. God wants to hear your voice. And I can imagine that God is walking around with us enthroned among the praises of his people. And he's looking at the people singing and he's saying, wait a minute, I know I did something for that person over there. Why are they silent? I know I bought freedom to them. So why are they silent? God wants to hear your worship. He wants to hear your thank you. He wants to hear your praise. He wants to hear your joyful noise. He wants to hear the overflow of your heart. Sing the song of the redeemed. Sing the song of your testimony. Would you stand for a second, please? We're going to do an altar call, and then we're going to do communion, and then we're going to move into a time of worship. During that worship time, I challenge you to worship as you have never worshiped before. During the communion time, I challenge you to remember the things that God has done personally for your life. And so let's move into this altar call. If you heard the gospel today and you knew that the Lord was speaking to you, you knew that the Lord was making an impression upon your life and you want to make Jesus the head of your life. You want to submit to God as your Lord and Savior. You heard the gospel and you said, I know that God is pursuing me. Would you come down to the front? We want to pray for you. Would you come down to the front? We want to pray with you. We have resources to give you. Perhaps you heard the gospel and you said, I've been running from God for a long time. Maybe you heard the gospel and you said, I have not given God what is due to him. I have not been serving him. My life does not reflect the things that he has done for me. Today is the day to give your life to Christ. He is worthy of your praise. Today is the day to make God the Lord of your life. To call Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Is there one? This is your moment of salvation. This is your moment of freedom. God, would you move in this place? Set the captives free. Touch their hearts, oh God. Touch their minds. Reach them where they are, God. I pray that you would bring salvation and deliverance and freedom. 
I pray that you would cause joy in us for those of us who have been in church, but would you cause more joy in our hearts? Cause more joy in our mind. Lord, I pray that we would be released from the shackles of self-consciousness and give you the praise that you are due. You are worthy of our praise. If you look under your seats, you could find a communion cup. Now is the time to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. so God we remember your sacrifice for us we remember the way you saved us while we were yet sinners when we were running away from you you chased after us and you brought us into your fold and so God we are the sheep of your pasture you are our God and we are your people we owe you worship God we owe you worship it's the least we can do. When you bled and died for us, it's the least we can do to say thank you, to say hallelujah, to lift our hands, to clap our hands, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, to come into your presence with thanksgiving. And so God, today, let this mark a new moment in our lives where we give you the best worship that we have. Here is my worship, God. No one else can worship you for me because no one else has done what you have done for me, God. No one else could set me free. No one else loves me like you do, God. Here is my worship. I will give you all that I have. God, I will not be silent. I will worship you. You are worthy of it all, Jesus. Come on, church. Let's begin to bless the Lord right now, even as we move into worship. God, you are worthy of it all. Come on, church. Let's move into this time of worship. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 10.30 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.